0: Uh, we've been in Colossians 3 for, um, well, for a little while, and um, in verse 18, Paul begins to give instructions to wives and husbands and children, et cetera, and it's easy to read this separately from what Paul has just established in the text that comes before it, as though he's just moved on to the next topic or the, you know, the next subject on the agenda, like I do in my meetings. I just, we just move right down the agenda, and it's new topic, new topic, new topic. Well, that's, that's not really what we're, we have going on here. And when we we read our Bibles, we need to kind of keep that in mind, that the chapter breaks and the summary headings that are there, they're super helpful, but they were added later. I mean, this was a letter Paul wrote. He didn't put, you know, rules for Christian household above that section. That's what our Bibles say, and and that's good, but they're not always um, helpful in that regard. Because when we see them, we naturally assume we've moved on to a new topic. And the same is true with chapter breaks, and this is a great example of one of these in the Bible where at the end of chapter three, Paul is talking to bond servants about how they're to relate to their masters. And then you start chapter four thinking if it's a, you know, if it's a novel, you've moved on to a whole new thing, but it's not a novel. And so in chapter four, he starts out talking to masters about how they're to treat their bond servants. It's kind of an odd place for a chapter break. And so the only reason I'm bringing this up is just to keep that in mind when you're reading your Bibles, you need to read it in the context that, that, that is there so that you understand it better. So with that in mind, verse 18 doesn't have Paul starting a new topic, but rather giving us the application or the implications for the stuff that he's established in the previous section, where he's been explaining to the Colossians that when we become Christians, we become new creations with a new identity and new characteristics. This is something that Christ does in us. It's not something we produce, but because we are in Christ, these things begin to, to show up. He describes what our old self was like, and he contrasts it with what this new life will, will look like when Christ enters the picture. And we kind of talked about this last time I taught, which was a couple of weeks ago, this kind of bizarre world that we live in as Christians where we are simultaneously sinner and saint. It's, it's kind of a weird thing that, that we deal with. Our old self is still here, but it doesn't have to define who we are anymore. Those who have identified with the death and the burial and the resurrection of Christ can walk in newness of life and in this new identity. And we do this by dying to the old self and its practices and allowing Christ to reign in our lives through the power of the Holy Spirit. He likens it to taking off an old garment, you know, discarding the old and putting on the new. And this is something that we have to do continually as Christians. It's not something I wish it was something we did once where you just take the old garment and kind of toss it in the, in the, in the garbage heap and put on the new and away we go. But it's something I have to do sometimes it feels like every minute of every day. No, I'm going to walk in the new identity. I'm going to walk in the new man. I'm going to put to death the old. This, uh, this new identity that we have um, is something individually that, we, that we, we get to walk in, but it's, it's also something collectively that the church has become, this kind of new humanity that exists in Christ, and it, it's kind of neat to be a part of. Well, verses 12 through 15 of chapter 3, just uh, so that you understand where we're at, kind of describes what the characteristics of this new man or new woman in Christ will have, and it says in verse 12, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. He goes on to tell them to bear with each other and, and to forgive each other if they have grievances with each other. And he talks about that this will allow the peace of Christ to rule in our hearts and it will cause us to be thankful. So this is kind of the, um, the idea here. And if you're anything like me, none of that resembles who I am apart from Christ. Apart from Christ, I'm literally none of those things at all. But in Christ, it's possible for me to walk in that in those in those new characteristics and and have those things be a part of who I am, which is really good for me and my family. So so this is the context of what Paul's going to say next. He's saying those who have put off the old and are living in the new can expect this transformation, not only within themselves, but also in the way that they relate to to those around them. And, and that's where we're coming into verse 18, because this this new man that we're supposed to put on. It's something we're supposed to to be wearing all the time, um, everywhere we go, not just at church. A lot of people think, yeah, I'm going to church, I'll, you know, new man. That sounds great. And then you go home and it's like old man and you go to work and it's old man and you go to your, you know, hang out with your friends. And it's, it's the old that's this is something that is supposed to characterize us all the time everywhere we go. So so this is where he where he starts out here in. In verse 18, which we looked at part of this last week, but I'm going to read it um, just so that we can kind of see. These are the implications of what it is to be a new man or a new woman. This is what relationships will begin to look like. And I don't know about you, but it's super exciting to me to think about having an opportunity to live in this kind of humanity. It gives us just little glimpses of what heaven and his kingdom will be like, you know. So verse 18 of Colossians 3 is where I'll start reading now. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. So, this is that, that these new relationships and what they'll look like. And Paul's describing um, these different spheres. And how we will live in them now, and these—these basically talking about what it's going to look like at home, at work, and and then later in society, which we won't get to this week. Last week Terry covered the home, and this week we're going to look like what work or vocation looks like for the new man or new woman in Christ. I am going to take some liberty this morning. You can you can fight with me on this later. The passage. Um, is really talking about servants and masters, which is something that we don't necessarily have a lot of going on today, and, and don't necessarily relate to. But we can relate to the concept of employees and bosses, and so that's kind of what we're going to do with this with this passage. I do want to make it clear, though, that being a bond servant, really a slave, is much different. And you may argue with me if you're depending on what kind of job you have, but it's much different than being an employee um that makes what paul says even more striking honestly because in the ancient culture what was written um here for women children and bondservants was was revolutionary they, they were considered property at this time uh, to be any of any of those three things was not a, a great way to you know way to live in that time the gospel changes all of that though And I just love how this works out because instead of being on different tiers on the social ladder, the gospel makes us equal. Galatians 3.26 says this, for in Christ, you are all sons and daughters of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female, but you are all one in Christ. That's radical What Paul is writing here and what what this is doing for these people is completely revolutionary and radical compared to what they were used to. It looks completely counterculture to the world. And I love that that Jesus's kingdom is an upside down kingdom where the, the, the first will be last and the meek will be exalted. It's really good news for me. It's like, Yes. You know, I was the guy that probably got picked last on the, on the, on the team. And, and Christ is like, no, I want you on my team. I want, I, want, I want you to come over here. That's very good. In this kingdom, men, women, children, and servants and masters have just as much value and dignity as the other. And I love how Christianity brings equal in value to, to people, regardless of their age or their race or whether they're, well, I would say gender, but I'll say male and female just to make it clear in our day and age. From the oldest among us today to the to the unborn in their mom's wombs right now, there is equal value and dignity in Christ. I love that. OK, so we do have different roles, by the way. I'm not going to go into this sermon, but it doesn't mean we have the same roles. We have different roles. Master has a different role than a servant, right? Um, husband has a different role than a wife. Wife has a, you know, all children have different roles. So we're equal, not always equivalent. There are differences as far as role, but we are equal. Okay, so now we're going to talk about work, which I know some of you are super excited about right now, you know, because on Sunday, what you want to be thinking about is Monday, right? (laughs) Maybe not. Most people don't love their jobs and they kind of see work as it's kind of a necessary evil. Some might even say a way to pay the bill, something that you have to do, not something you really want to do. And even most Christians kind of view work as part of the curse. Right. Thanks a lot, Adam and Eve. Thanks for that. You know, appreciate. It. But but I, did you know something? This might blow your minds a little bit. Do you know that God introduced work before the fall? He did. It's actually included in the stuff that God referred to as good. Yeah, <laughs> I know. Genesis 2:15. Right after he created man and woman, it says the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. The fall doesn't occur until the next chapter. Now, like everything else, work was affected by the fall. Um, or work was affected by the fall. Scratch that from the record. Work was affected by uh, sin. It was, well, like I said, it was right. Terry, Terry, give me a thumbs up. All right, put it back on. We're good. Sin wrecks things. It wrecked work. That's what I'm trying to say. I'll say it a different way. Um, the result of sin was that work would begin to stink, right? Sweat happens. That's what, that's what literally happens in Genesis. The ground gets hard. Thorns and thistles come up, and, and it becomes kind of a rotten thing to have to do. The first Monday after the fall is like still rippling, you know, today. It's like, ah, oh, you can feel it coming, right? That's kind of what happened. But before sin came into the picture, Adam and Eve were given the responsibility of cultivating the garden, which was part of paradise. They, this would have been super enjoyable to them. And I don't think of gardening that way at all, but, but I I can, I can, I can buy in to that idea. Um, And I believe that there's a better than average chance that work will continue in heaven. Right. I mean, we, you know, the idea of like, here's your harp, there's your cloud, enjoy, you know, no, we're going to have an opportunity to be productive, to be creative, to, to, you know, to do things. Now we we call it work and and it automatically kind of sounds bad, but that's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about something that's going to be good. And I love that when Jesus redeemed mankind, he reversed the curse. So for you and I right now, work can become enjoyable again. It can be something that we enjoy and look forward to because things are now the way they were intended to be again for us. And this is really good news because when I looked it up, I had to like Google it to find out uh, work accounts for approximately one third of your life or 90,000 hours. Yeah, that's it's like, great. That sounds good. That's a lot of hours. Um, And a guy named tom nelson one time said this he said in the church We often spend the majority of our time teaching people how to live the minority of their lives We don't talk about this a lot. And so this morning we're going to look at How the new man and new woman in christ should view work And i'm going to give you three things i'll give them to you right off the start here So you have them and then we'll talk about them individually The first one is this work is a gift from god that is good for us The second one is that work is part of our calling as Christians, and the third one is that work affords us the opportunity to obey and participate in the Great Commission. So those are what we're going to look at. The first one I've already touched on this, but work is a gift from God and it's good for us. Now, admittedly, that may be hard for us to 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 think of in that way. But if you've ever been in a position, have you ever been in a position where you were unable to work, or or you were out of work? It doesn't take long for you to start feeling kind of kind of uh, worthless, kind of depressed kind of like you're not doing something you should be doing. It's, it's not good. Think of like a, uh, a teenager when the school break starts in the summer, right? That kind of, you know, about a week, it's good. And then it's just not, right? I can still remember my mom saying, go find something to do. You know, she said that to me a lot because I'd be bored and I'd start just like, you know, you start just kind of doing things. You start causing trouble. staying busy working hard and contributing to to society are good for us and and the old the old saying that the idle hands are the devil's playground or the devil's workshop is just true if you you know having nothing to do does not bring out the best in people certainly doesn't bring out the best in me there are times when rest is good and needed right i'm not saying that but idleness and laziness do not produce anything godly and many people today have this strange idea that they shouldn't have to work uh, to earn their, their own way, that it's somebody else's job and pr- even responsibility to provide for them. That's not a biblical thought at all. In fact, Paul, <laughs> I love how Paul is sometimes. He didn't pull punches. Paul sometimes just said stuff. that You're like, wow, can you say that? Yeah, you can say that. This is Paul, not me. Second Thessalonians 310. I used to say this to my kids. I remember that. It's funny. He said, if you don't work, you don't eat. It's like... Wow. All right. And that might sound harsh, but let's think about it. If a person can work, I want to make sure you understand that if they can work, they're able to, but unwilling and expect somebody else to provide for them. How frustrating is that? It's really frustrating. That means somebody else has got to do twice the work so that they can get what they need. That's not how it's supposed to work. And beloved, and I'm saying that because I'm about to say something mean or harsh or whatever. This principle is true in the church too. You know, I I just, everybody is supposed to be participating. This is a functioning body. Every part needs to do something. If one part's not doing something, the other parts have to compensate. And I don't say that to to make you feel bad or guilty because there is such a, there's such a good thing about participating within the church body. It's good for you. It's good for us. I love seeing um, somebody who's been here for a while that starts to serve and starts to invest because it changes everything. All of a sudden, it's not just the church, it's my church. There's a big difference in that, right? There's buy-in, there's ownership where, where, where you contribute and you benefit and you have value and you add value. That's how the church is supposed to operate. And that's how it's supposed to look in the world as well. You know, if you can think back to the first job you ever had, I can still remember my first job and I remember my first paycheck and I remember feeling like I was a big deal. You know, that was pretty cool. I was adulting, you know, that's what they call it now. That's what the kids are calling it nowadays. I was adulting and it felt great. You know, it's just one of those things where when you accomplish something, when, when you, when you put in a hard day's work and you step back and you look at kind of the, what, what you've accomplished, that's a great feeling, you know, um, maybe not everybody would agree depending on what kind of, you know, I'm thinking of like a construction project and I'm standing back going, oh, that is great. But somebody else might be going, that's not going to, that's going to fall down, but I feel good about it. And that's, what's important. right? When you finish a project or you complete something and you get to cross it off your list, it's satisfying, right? An excellent work and a good work ethic honors God the Father. It honors our, our maker. You know, I just love the idea that he's proud of me as his son, you know. Good job, son. That looks good. Good, good, good days of work kind of thing. It's a really high compliment to hear somebody refer to, to somebody else as a good worker. Have you ever heard that? Man, they are a hard worker. When you hear that, you think, that's, that's, that means something. That's something we need to instill in our kids even now because that's something that you don't hear as often as as we used to. At least I don't, you know, from when I was growing up. Verse 22 goes on to say this because I think it's important that we point this out. Not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart fearing the Lord. Um, Being a hard worker is good. And it's good when the boss is looking and when the boss is not looking. Some people are really hard workers when the boss is in the room and then they're not. And and I guess the point of this is the boss is always in the room and he's always watching. Um, There's a huge difference between doing something out of obligation and doing something from your heart. And this is saying to do it with your heart. I had a good friend named uh, JT. His ex-name was John Tom, but that sounds funny. He liked to go by John Tom. I know. Sounds like an Indian name or something. JT. We're going with JT this morning. This guy, when he started working, He was like a machine. I mean, just get out of his way because this guy was going to work, work, work. And then when he stopped working, he would just fall asleep. It was pretty funny, but he would. He wasn't much fun at cards, but he could work. (laughs) Uh, He got on at a temp agency. He, He had lost his job. He was in between work, and he got hired on as a temp agency as a construction guy. And they would work at night. It was at a hospital, I think, in Spokane. And so the supervisors would get there, and they'd get all the workers lined out, and then they'd leave. And the guys were just working away until the supervisors left. And then all the work kind of slowed because they were getting paid by the hour, right? So it would just slow way down. Not John Tom. This dude was just, you know, he was going to town. He was working like like it mattered. And these guys would say to him, they'd get mad at him first because you're making the rest of us look bad. Uh, and then they would say to him, what, are you trying to get on steady or something? <laughs> I remember saying, yeah, yeah, that's the point, you guys. That's, that's exactly what I'm trying to do. He worked with all of his heart as unto the Lord, regardless of who was watching and who wasn't. And I always admired him for that. So understand that work is a gift from God that is good for us. The second way that the new man and new woman in Christ should view work is recognizing that work is part of our calling as Christians. When it comes to our lives as Christians, this is something we often get wrong. Uh, we, we don't see our jobs for what they really are. And what, are, what they really are is vocation, vocation, vocation. I only say that because it reminds me of a real estate thing So for the real estate agents. But, but you'll remember it. Vocation is not just an occupation. That's how we think of it sometimes when we hear it. But it really is a calling to which a person is summoned for, for a purpose. So we think of that kind of thing as like in regards to the ministry you know, a call pastors talk about this all the time. When did you receive your call? And, and we talk about this calling as far as this vocation goes, but this doesn't just apply to pastors. And I remember getting this wrong when I became a Christian. Um, I couldn't understand why everybody just didn't go into full-time ministry. Cause to me, that sounded like the right thing. If you're a Christian full-time ministry, that just makes sense. You should do that. Why would you do anything else? Why would you have an ordinary job when you could be serving the Lord? That's what I wrongly thought. I'm telling you that's wrong, but it's a common thought. It, it's, it's, it's easy to think that what we do at church or for the church is what matters. The rest of it doesn't really matter. But that's not true. Everything counts. We like to compartmentalize our lives in this way, where we have work and family, church over here, leisure over here, and it out. Like, well, that's not a God part of my life. But that's not, what, that's not true. Work is a God part of your life. Everything is a God part of your life. There's no such thing really as things that are sacred and things that are secular. If Christ is your life, it's all sacred. It's all about him. Now, um, that's the way I used to think about work. Now I understand that a regular job is meant to be serving the Lord. Whatever you're doing right now, it's supposed to be in service to the Lord. And, and when I say work, I want, I want to make sure you understand that, that this idea, I'm talking about this calling or this vocation. So this can include things like being a stay-at-home mom. That is a vocation. I will acknowledge that I had it much easier than my wife when we were raising our kids. I would leave the house and work for eight hours a day fixing copiers. Sometimes they were hard to fix. Sometimes it wasn't much fun. But she was at home with five kids, homeschooling them, managing them, keeping track of them, feeding them, picking up after them, cleaning up after them, you know, all of it. And the household, you know, she had all of this stuff to do. And I remember thinking, I think I got the better end of this deal. Um, in a lot of ways. Ladies, do you understand what a high calling that is? What an amazing gift it is to have. A, a, and I'm not trying to say that women that are working are, are, are you know, less or inferior. But this is something that society ridicules and mocks is unimportant. And that's just not the case. This is something that I believe our Heavenly Father is very pleased with. This is a high calling. And a lot of people don't want to do it, quite frankly. I am grateful for a wife that was willing to stay home and do that. She probably would have liked to go and get a job some days and let somebody else do that, quite frankly, but she didn't. Martin Luther had a major impact on the way we, we view vocation today. He was convinced that God was just as pleased with a farmer spreading manure, his words, not mine, or a maid milking her cow as he was with a preacher teaching God's word. That's interesting to think about. Um, I don't know why he compared manure spreading with preaching the word. I don't know what, hopefully he's not, you know, there are some churches out there where that, that probably would apply, but I don't think that's what he was going for. I hope. But it is, it's, it's, it's verse 23 says it this way. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord, you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the lord christ i like that regardless of what job you have consider it as a calling from god consider it as a gift from him and serve him with all your heart if what you do is under the lord it means that it can be done as an offering to god and even as an act of worship again picking on my wife she's in the room today so i can't say bad stories i have to tell good stories I, she used to clean houses uh, for the the rental homes here in sun river and and she would uh you know, have to run in and clean them quickly before the next family came. And it was, you know, really hard work. And and sometimes it was kind of demeaning work because not everybody leaves the places in the best of condition. And uh, she had an epiphany one time as she was cleaning the toilet, you know, which is a very demeaning thing to do, especially when it's not your own toilet. You know, It's it's just who wants to do that. And she realized, you know what, I can do this unto the Lord. I can do this as unto him, as though I'm serving him right now. And she took it as like a calling, you know, I'm just thinking, well, that's, that seemed like a stretch, but it was like, no, this is, it changed everything. This all of a sudden changed her whole view of what she was doing to where now it was an act of service to the Lord and not, you know, an act of service to men. And I watched her attitude completely change as the way she would go about doing those things. Really cool. So it doesn't matter what you're doing. You could be changing diapers. You can be swinging hammers. You could be pumping gas over here or, 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 you know, being a hostess at one of the restaurants in town, um, you're serving the Lord Christ and, and your vocation can change by the way. I don't want to, I don't want to make it sound like you're locked into this. You know, if you're, if you're working, you know, slinging burgers right now or something, you're going, well, that's my calling in life. No, that's your calling for now. That's where God has you. Now that's your station in life. Now do it unto him. It could change. Could, maybe it won't though for the bond servant probably wasn't going to change. And verse 24 mentions something that I think is amazing. Talks about receiving this inheritance from the Lord as a reward. And this would have been out of the question for a bond servant, right? They didn't have retirement programs or, uh, you know, IRAs, 401, 401, I want to call it a 201. That's a, yeah, it's C. That's, yeah. Pastors don't usually have them either, obviously. They didn't, you know, there wasn't like any, anything for them in that regard. And here, here the Lord says this, you know, you have an inheritance. You do have something ahead of you. You have something, I'm going to take care of you. You have a retirement program in heaven. You have a secure future there. And, and I like to think, you know, that would have been a huge encouragement to them and, and, and to you as well. Well, the, the last one that we're going to look at is that work affords us the opportunity to obey the great commission or to participate in the great commission. If you're not familiar with what the great commission is, it's just simply the marching orders that Jesus gave us before he ascended to the father in Matthew 28:19 he instructed his followers that as they go, as they go into the world, they're to try to make disciples or Christ followers of everyone they can, they, they come in contact with. And they're to baptize them and they're to teach them how to follow Christ and then how to lead others to Christ as well. So that they just keep, the process keeps repeating. Our jobs, our vocation, regardless of what that is, if it's a you know, at a business or if it's at home or if it's on a soccer team or whatever it happens to be, our jobs in this regard, our vocation provide us with one of the main ways to participate in the mission of Jesus. Have you ever thought about your workplace as a mission field? Some of you are probably thinking, yeah, you got that right. Those people need Jesus, right? But have you ever thought that God put you there as the missionary? Maybe that's a better way to ask the question. Maybe you're the one that's supposed to, to interact with them in regards to the gospel. Maybe you're the one that's going to introduce them to the Lord. That's where we come in. See, the Bible says that we're ambassadors for Christ. You think of yourself as an ambassador? That's pretty cool. Some of you got, just got like a, you know, a better job title. Huh? That's pretty good. You're an ambassador. You're a representative for Jesus's kingdom. You may be the only Christian that's in that person's sphere of influence, the only one that they'll ever really come in contact with. You know, when you, a, a normal job, you spend a lot of time together. And and you might be the the one that God's placed there for that purpose. Hopefully those around you know that you're a Christian and hopefully, more importantly perhaps they see that you're a Christian, right? The Bible talks about us Christians as being salt and light. Very distinct things that stand out in the world and, and that are good things in the world. So we have this opportunity wherever we go to be salt and light. This is one of the reasons why like we can't get Pastor David to leave his day job And come on full-time. He's a chimney sweep by trade. And that's one of the reasons we actually like the model of pastors being bivocational, part pastor, part worker, because it keeps us grounded. It keeps us in the trenches. We have to rub elbows with the commoners. (laughs) I'm just kidding. No, that was a joke, but yeah, it sounded bad. It's nice to be, you know, I think sometimes pastors kind of get into the ivory tower kind of mindset and and they they stop interacting with, with people and especially people out in the world. And, and this kind of forces us to do that. And, and um, you know, we, we can still do it without a job, but it, it does help in that regard. Now I want to point out that while you're at work as a Christian, um, be wise in the way that you do interact. I, I think sometimes, you know, you can go too far with this. Uh, you don't, don't be one of those Christians that when your coworker sees you coming, they like dive under their desk or, or pretend to be asleep. Or something like that, because cause I think we can go too far with that. If you see that kind of thing happen happening, maybe turn it down a notch or two. But you can be that Christian that loves everyone, that works really hard, that makes other people's jobs easier, and that actually makes work like a fun place to be. You know, that, that kind of person. Have you ever been around a Christian like that where you're just like going, man, I love being around that person. I, I, love, I love it when they show up because everything kind of like gets a little better. That's the kind of people we're to be wherever we go. You know, there's times when we, we need to recognize the difference between an air war and a ground war. Sometimes as Christians, we'll have an opportunity for, for like, you know, just to kind of drop a gospel bomb and fly off. But not usually. Usually it's more of a ground war kind of scenario where we're in day in and day out, you know, with the same people. And, and so it's, it's a little harder, honestly. But if you truly care about people... And you should truly care about people this is this is what you're in for. Some people refer to this as lifestyle evangelism that's a great term for it, um, but it's an investment and, and and it's something that you just have to just keep on keeping on most of the time in the, in the jobs that i've had with non christians they didn't really like me much you know they knew I was a christian and they didn't they didn't really want to hang out with a christian um, I mean they liked me in that in, in, you know in a personal sense but not like they didn't like the Christian part of me I guess I would say until something happened in their life. When, when something went on that was like a tragedy or a hard thing came on, they'd come seek me out and I'd get to sit down with them and we'd get to pray and, and I'd get to talk to them and then things would get better and they might wander off again. But they knew I was there. They knew who I was. They knew who I represented and they knew that I was somebody they could come to. So, So take heart in that regard. As we embark on 2019, I hope you see your vocation, regardless of where it is, as a way to glorify God and a way to love your neighbor. There's really no better opportunity than, than this. Um, so here's the question. If work is good for us, and if it honors God, and it provides an opportunity for us to fulfill our calling and to share Christ with those around us, how should we feel about work, and what kind of workers should we be? And the answer is the best darn workers on the planet, right? We should be the, the, the on time hardworking, have integrity, all those things that we talked about. And Christian bosses should be the best bosses on the planet, right? They should be the best guys to work for or best gals to work for. There's an exhortation from Paul in verse 1 that I love his little subtle way of saying this, but it's good for bosses to treat their employees with justice and fairness and then this not-so-subtle reminder that they have a boss too, you know, and that they'll stand before that boss one day and give an account for, for what they did. And we'll do the same. And once again, as always, Jesus is our perfect example. Jesus knew what it was like to be a boss and to be a servant, to be a master and a servant, right? As a master, he didn't lord over people and, and treat them harshly. He was meek. He was loving. He was kind. You know, he washed the feet of his disciples as their lord. That's, that's quite an example as a master. And as a servant, he came to do the Father's work with great humility and obedience, And he was always concerned with doing a good job, you know, always, always wanting to do the Father's work in a way that pleased Him. And ultimately, the greatest work that He did was at the cross for us. I I love to just kind of think about what it would have been like for Adam and Eve in the garden, you know, as they were working and enjoying this work, and God would come and visit them in the cool of the day, and, and they would have this fellowship. And in a way, we get to experience that too, right? We we can enjoy our work now. We have. This relationship with Christ where he does visit us during the day, sometimes just through his, you know, the, the personal interactions that we have with our Lord. Sometimes it's running into another believer. I don't know if that that's ever happened to you or out working and you run into another believer. It's just like a shot in the arm all of a sudden, you know, a breath of fresh air. I look forward to a time when we will be in his kingdom and we will uh, be able to see him face to face. And until then, though, we do have work to do as Christians. It's good work. It's enjoyable work, and I hope that uh, this h- helps you just have a, a little different view of maybe what it is. And so I'm going to pray now. We don't have communion. And the good news is, because we started a half an hour early, you get, you get to leave a half an hour sooner. So that all worked out awesome. <laughs> Father, thank you so much for um, the example that, that, that Christ is for us. Um, he was the greatest uh, master and Lord that there, there ever has been, and, and he gives us an example to follow if that if that's something we relate to. And he's also the greatest servant, Lord. He was humble and meek. And we thank you so much that that he was concerned with doing the Father's work and with pleasing you. And we thank you that that took him to the cross. Ultimately, Jesus' main job was to come and to glorify you and to save sinners. And he did that by being obedient, even to the point of death. And we thank you that Jesus was willing to do that so that we could have life and so we we could know you. Lord, I pray that there's people here today that, that aren't aware of who Jesus is and what he's done, that this might be the day that they experience it and find out. We thank you again for the good things you do for us, for a new way to look at work and for a new humanity that we get to walk in. We ask for your blessing upon the rest of our time now in Jesus' name, amen.